Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Cole Napper. Cole, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Al. How are you doing? I'm doing real well. Very excited to be talking with you. You just turned into an author overnight. <laughs> you have four fantastic articles on LinkedIn, and you have this narrative around what people analytics leaders need to be thinking about, particularly as they start up. So before we get into the articles, can you just share a little bit about you and how you got into this field? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my background, uh, I studied IO psychology, PhD program at Louisiana Tech. Um, I had, I, I really kind of got into people analytics in sort of a roundabout way. I had started in the selection space and then moved into workforce planning, which, and I think I touched on this in one of the articles, I, I really latched on to strategic workforce planning. I think it's, it's a really cool and novel concept and you get into those projections out into the future and using things like forecasting and predictive analytics. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And that was right when people analytics was starting to become a thing. And so I was able to kind of matriculate from strategic workforce planning into people analytics. And ever since I've been there, that's just what I've been kind of riding the wave of what's been going on. Well, Let's then, you know, given your, because I, I, I want to talk about the connection between people analytics and workforce planning in sure. a minute. But before we do that, you know, your articles are very well thought through and you Thank obviously you. have a passion, not only your ability to do it, but you have a passion to communicate outward some leading practices or ideas that you have. So what's your inspiration for doing that? You know, I, honestly, I've been thinking about it for years. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've seen plenty of people in the field who I very much admire and seeing kind of how, like, that's actually one of the things I love about people analytics is there's so many people that just kind of give back to the field without, you know, without like, like asking for any kind of recompensation for it. And so I was like, I've had that kind of as a motivation for a while. The other thing is that, like, I read lots of different sources from different individuals and I've been trying to kind of come up with because I don't see it out there. It's like a unifying theory of people analytics and, and to kind of put the cold napper stamp on what that is. And, and so, you know, starting people analytics at a few organizations, I'm always, you know, kind of digging yourself out of a hole of like, okay, I'm going to bring everyone up to speed on how, how do we do this and how do we do it well? And I was like, I should just write this down. Like, why not? And, <laughs> and so it honestly, it started out, I was just going to write one quick article. And then one became two and two became four and four actually became six. Cause there's two more that have come out since, uh, I think you and I last spoke. So <laughs> there's quite a, quite a bit of detail out there. And then I've actually got a second series of articles that I'm working on now, six more I'm calling people analytics primers, just to dig into kind of more detailed, um, analytics techniques, because another thing, and, I, and I've, I've heard other people say this before is that there, there's a lot of strategy content out there. There's not a lot of technical, tactical, technical, how do you do this, uh, work out there. And, uh, other than if you like paid for like data camp or something like that. And so I, I want to contribute to the field in that way. As well, well it, it's <clears throat> definitely needed. And, you know, thank you, uh, given my perspective and as a representative of the people in this community for, for doing this, cause you're right. It's call it open source, call it, you know, whatever you, you want is if we do this sharing, then we're all going to get better at it. And I think about a conversation I had with uh, Ian O'Keefe, um, who is um, 
at Chase at the time, but now he's at Amazon Web Services, who was saying, you know, if somebody in our field really screws this up and it's front page New York Times, you know, that's going to affect all of us. So yeah. we need to share leading pride. We need to share some of the concerns and constraints that will, you know, fall under. Um, this is what I want to talk about right now. Sure. And, you know, if I might toggle a, a little bit, because yes, we have some constraints that we need to be thinking about, but we also have some great opportunity. And obviously we have COVID, we have disruptions with the war in Ukraine, uh, you know, gas prices, you know, all these things. So when we talk about strategic workforce planning, mm -hmm. you know, historically it's been around talent acquisition, you know, primarily, but I know in one of your articles, I think it was the first one about dashboards mm -hmm. is that you have this acknowledgement that we are analyzing a dynamic workforce. In other words, doing so over time. So can you speak to how you define workforce planning and how we need to be accommodating or thinking about the element of time over time? <laughs> you know, and, and it's a really interesting concept. And I think in that article that you referenced, I mentioned of how understudied the concept of time is in any pretty much any scientific endeavor, not just people analytics or strategic workforce planning. And I actually credit that insight to a colleague of mine that I worked with at TCU, Abby Schiff. She, she's an excellent leader in the field and she, she talks a lot about temporal effects. But what the, re, the, the way I've kind of come to it is two fronts. One is the strategic workforce planning front, which I'll talk about in a second. But the other is just this concept of cause and effect. Most of the time you need a time series to determine if you know what you didn't worked, right? I think in one of the articles I talked about this kind of premise I've made a whole career around it is like, how do you know what you're doing is working? Well, if you don't track something over time, it's very difficult to prove that what you're doing is working. And so in the strategic workforce planning context, I've seen plenty of strategic workforce plans that were put out there, you know, one year, three years, five years into the future. And then nobody follows up to ever check you know, a year, three years, five years into the future, if that plan was even accurate. And so I, I think it's kind of this concept of backwards compatibility. You have to know if, how, like, what's the delta between what you projected and what actually happened. And I think that's where all the nuance and the goodness and the learning, like we talk a lot about machine learning nowadays. What about actual learning? Like, how do we calibrate our models to show and correct those models to say, hey, we've gotten better, or here's the gap that we've seen, and here are how, how we're going to improve it going forward. And so I think about strategic workforce planning, and you mentioned like the war in Ukraine and, and many other like just COVID-related kind of second and third order effects of what have happened from COVID and how that's affected the world. Many of those things would be incredibly difficult to predict and plan around if you, if you were around the clock five years ago, right? I mean, who would have projected a global pandemic as a part of their strategic workforce planning session? I, I think that's a lot to ask of someone, right? And I think it's a lot to ask of any kind of strategy function at an organization. I think that's why many organizations had to quickly pivot when the pandemic occurred just to, you know, stay relevant. And, and I would even, you know, I'll credit Booster, my current employer. Well, um, before, before the pandemic, Booster was, I was actually a customer of Boosters in the past. That's why I love them so much. What they used to do is they used to fuel the location. Like you would go into a big employer. 
they would come to the parking lot and as an employee benefit, they would fuel your car while you were in the office. It was like, I, I used to call it like little like chipmunks that would come out and fuel your car. And it was amazing. You would just show up and your car would be filled up with gas. Well, after the pandemic, everybody started working from home, right? Well, immediately we pivoted to large fleets. So, you know, we have some very brand name customers that are out there. that are global organizations that are very desirable. And now what we do is almost 100% fleet-based at the moment. We're pivoting into other areas. And we've even moved into renewable fuels and almost got 100% renewable fuels just to be good stewards of the environment. So it's a pretty incredible organization, but you could see how from a strategic workforce planning standpoint, we needed to completely wholesale change our workforce. One major shift was literally shifts. We used to be a day shift company and now we're a night shift company. We've pivoted back into the day shift more recently, but you can imagine the different labor pools that are available to you depending on the shifts that your organization takes. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to highlight this article that you wrote and to stage it, you know, strategy and implementation. And I want to come to some of the specifics within it in mm -hmm. a minute, but I just want to um, highlight. And again, you can go to Cole's uh, LinkedIn profile and you can see all four articles and we'll make sure we put these in the in the chats, but th this is where I want to get to when you talk about sure. uh, workforce planning, strategy, implementation, is we have to be working on the right things at the right times. And you're talking about people analytics leadership, now what? So my question to you is how do you, as a people analytics leader, prioritize? You know, it's, 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 uh, there's some art and there's some science to it. Obviously, uh, I, I talked about in the past, and I can actually pull this up, uh, mm -hmm. the operating principles <clears throat> that my team utilizes. Let me, let me share my screen. And they're in order for a reason, right? So we first talk about alignment, which is go slow to go fast, but always do what's right for the business, right? That's, that's really the key step in figuring out how, what to prioritize. Now it gets a little bit more difficult when you get to the mantra of the right-hand sign, do what works and only that, nothing more, nothing less. So in the article, it talks about how that can be related to overproduction and waste, but really it's, it's actually difficult to know sometimes what you're going to do is going to work and be the right thing for the business. And so sometimes there is somewhat of a, you know, a, a moonshot out there of knowing, hey, it is what we're doing the right thing and are we going slow to go fast enough to prioritize? But my, kind of my rule of thumb is I'm looking at the business and I'm looking at where we're making our strategic investments in terms of what, like kind of seeing around the corner, what are we needing to do to get us from point A to point B to accomplish our objectives? And then I'm investing my team's time there, right? And then we'll kind of Pareto it and we'll go down the, you know, the Pareto curve based on what's, you know, secondarily, third, tertiarily, and, and, and so on and so forth, uh, based on that organizational priorities. Yeah. So you kind of touched on it right there, and I'd like to get um, more clear on it. So sure. when we talk about workforce planning, we talk about shifting yeah. shifts, you know, there are a bunch of decision makers in that yeah. process, correct me if I'm wrong. So AKA stakeholders, AKA internal customers. And so what does the governance model for your work look like? You know, do, do you report to the CHRO? Um, mm -hmm. Do you have a steering committee that you report into? If so, who makes that up? At what frequency do you meet? And what, what does that look like? 
You know, that, that's a really good question. First of all, I'd love to shout out our chief people officer, Ron Storm. He has been an excellent leader in this space. And, and frankly, he's been very encouraging of this line of work. So I think it would, it would be a missed opportunity not to thank him for this opportunity, right? But I, I do report into our chief people officer. That said, our team, we, I call it being embedded with the business. So we don't have a technical governance committee, but what we do have is we're, we have a direct line to each key executive that we're working with. And I, I think there's like a feed forward and a feedback from them and let the feedback loops that are associated. So some of the things they're bringing directly to us and say, hey, we need your help. Other times they're bringing to us kind of their business strategy and they're saying, how can you help? What ideas can you bring into the fold? And so really it's that, that feedback and that feed forward of how we determine what are the key priorities of what we're working on directly embedded with the business. You know, I absolutely love that approach because uh, number one, governance can be burdensome, um, yet we need to communicate effectively and people are, namely our internal customers need to feel that you're not in this black box, you know, just doing stuff and, you know, when's it going to arrive? What, you know, what is it? So when you talk about implementation and your strategy and implementation article that I, I brought up earlier, you know, can you define how you formulate your strategy and what implementation means and looks like to you? <laughs> I think I talk about this. It's a, a where, you know, be world-class where you need to be world-class and neglect almost everything else. Right. <laughs> And, 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 and keep in mind, those articles were targeted at a new people analytics leader. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, if you're working in a mature organization and you've had years under your belt, you're probably going to want to be world-class at many things, right? But in the beginning, you, you're going to have to choose where, where can you be world-class and then neglecting almost everything else. And, mm -hmm. and so if the organization at the time is needing operational workforce planning, but they're, they're probably not needing as much, you know, maybe employee surveys, for instance, go all in on workforce planning and don't even try to do surveys yet. Right. And then, so you bring up the, the two by two chart here. <laughs> this is meant to be somewhat comical, but I think it's also just really important, right? It is that if you look at the time and effort that something is taking versus the value it brings to the organization, you know, obviously you're probably going to have things in all four quadrants. I, I don't want to come across as, you know, the perfect human being that has never made a mistake in their life. But the reality is, I think a lot of times people analytics leaders want to go for the high, high quadrant. You can only afford to do a few of those. The low, low quadrant, that's most of, uh, you know, our day jobs, whether we'd like to admit it. The high, low quadrant, this is, this is the sweet spot. These are the things that, you know, maybe you can make a quick three-year plan from a workforce planning standpoint, and that can make a quick splash and help a decision be made tomorrow, right? Now, maybe you might not have all the rigor and the, the science behind what you're needing to do, but guess what? You're moving at the speed of the business. So that's a high and low value. And that would be a great example of how a people analytics leader can make an impact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was a fan of you before, but I'm becoming a more <laughs> of a fan of you as we go. Because, um, and we talked about this leading up. I mean, you're, uh, I, I want to, you're a straight shooter, and I'm not to imply that other people in the field aren't, but you have a very uh, fundamental, practical way uh, of looking at things and getting things done. And so, 
Do you feel that as a discipline, when we look at all the tools and analytical techniques out there that we're getting somewhat sometimes a bit lost in the analytical gloss as opposed to just delivering the value that the business needs? Yeah, I think it's important to have balance, right? Mm -hmm. when, mm -hmm. I, when I look at the field, one of the things I admire about the field is how much we look in the mirror, right? Mm -hmm. We look at ourselves, mm -hmm. we say, oh, this is cool. This is interesting. Or this is what you shouldn't be doing, right? Mm -hmm. This is not, this is a no-go zone. And I, I really appreciate about that about the field. What, what sometimes is missing though is kind of that two-way mirror of seeing through the other side mm -hmm. and saying, what's the, what's the feed forward into how the, what we're doing is making an impact on the business, not just kind of the, I don't know, call like the analytics arms race, where we're all just trying to become world-class at everything, even if our business doesn't need it, right? And, yep. and so I think it's just really important to apply what you're doing to the right problem with the right veracity that's necessary to fix it. I, I think as a field, and because and I, I, I lump in not just with the field, like the people that are practitioners like myself or the consultants or the vendors, because I think we all need each other. We're an ecosystem that makes this thing happen together. And what I would love to see, especially on the vendor front, is vendors coming in and showing how they tackle problems directly for the business, not just, you know, augmenting that. Like I see like these ROI pitches and sometimes it's like, well, this is going to make you have the equivalent instead of one analyst, you'll have four analysts. It's like, well, the business didn't care that much about how many analysts we, they care a lot about the value that they're seeing from our work. I'm pausing for this reason is that we uh, have this opportunity to do great things mm -hmm. in this field. Yeah. We also have arguably, at least not for me, arguably, but I'll just say it, uh, a responsibility to yes. do good work because we're affecting, you know, people's lives. So what, how do you feel about our responsibility to be proactive, to be creative, to manage this ecosystem in a very thoughtful, uh, proactive way? Oh, yeah. I, what, what I'm saying, I hope it doesn't ever come across as diminishing the value we bring or the creativity. Like, mm -hmm. I would love to say, I would love to think, and I actually have evidence for this, some of the most impactful work I've done in my career, nobody asked about, nobody thought about, right? It was that it was taking, you know, myself or members of my team working directly with the business and saying, hey, here's something you might not have considered. And this, we're going to do something that, you know, I, I don't know for a fact because, you know, different companies do different things. They don't necessarily publicize it. This may have never been done before in the history of people analytics. And it's going to make an impact. And then, of course, this is where the time value comes in. You know, wait six months, wait a year, and we'll prove to you with the ROI numbers that this made an impact. And, you know, sometimes people kind of throw up their hands and they say, not interested. And other times, you know, they're on board. And this is, again, uh, that's why I have the, the fourth operating principle of my team is credibility. How do you establish, maintain, and never lose the credibility of the function? Always measure twice, cut once. Credibility loss has never regained, right? These are really, really important concepts. And, and <laughs> the t uh, you, you, you see it on here, the past teams will be laughing at this because I've, I've hounded on it so many times is that it's just really, really important to not just be a thought leader, but to hold ourselves accountable as much as we hold our partners in the business accountable. 
the idea that we do this in a vacuum, as we alluded to earlier, you know, needs to, to go away. Um, I want to highlight what you just shared around the creative aspect, because uh, not to get too uh, West Coast, California, but but we're artists, you know, and, yes. you know, we have a uh, obligation to create and be thoughtful, everything from designing survey questions to doing analyses, because there are different analytical techniques that we can apply to a certain problem. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And from your perspective. So my question is, is this, you know, we have to do this creativity and apply this creativity rather, but we have to do it at speed. We have to do it at scale and we have to do it a sustainable way. So it's not all reliant on, you know, us sitting in front of a computer, you know, doing stuff. So what's your you know, feeling? I know your second point operating principle is scalability. So can you speak to that? Yeah, it, it's. Especially when you're a new these uh, organizations, they say they're looking for people analytics, but really they're just looking for someone to pull reports from them. And there's not a lot of artistry in that. I'll, I'll tell you that. And so the key coming in, as I see it, is instead of, you know, trying to be the person who pulls a hundred different reports for a hundred people, why don't we create one report that solves a hundred people's problem? Right. Mm. I think it doesn't require more, much more explanation than that, because that math problem can get inverted really quickly and the capacity of the team can evaporate. Right. But on the creativity side, I, I actually kind of step back here for a second and in touch, that's actually one of the reasons why I wrote these articles. I was actually kind of nervous at first. I don't know, I just never done this before. So I was pretty nervous, but after publishing it, like I had this new, newly found invigoration because I was able to use my creative juices, you know, and to really, you know, share something with the community and that happens in the work sometimes, right? Mm. I mean, not every project is obviously the most intellectually stimulating thing you ever worked on. But sometimes when you can truly do something, it's like you're bringing about creation that may have not existed. That is the artistry. That is the thing where passion comes in. And then if you can, if you can take that and make it scalable, it's even that much more dangerous, right? I mean, it's just, it's like a mat, like a magical experience. And I think that's what, you know, it makes this field so interesting and fun. Well, Let's talk about that as we start to, you know, wrap. And by the way, if you're listening and watching, if you have questions, just enter them in the chat and we'll, um, you know, fill them as they come in. But my question is this, this creativity and you're inspiring me right now. I'm getting all fired up. And so your team, your last article was around, you know, building a team. And I imagine you want a similar or people with similar passion and enthusiasm and, and creativity. That being said, you know, there's certain linear things like reports that need to be generated. Sure. And so what are the key attributes that you look for in building a team? I, the first, what I, I guess I don't even look for, like, I don't even consciously look for this, but I do look for passion and intrinsic interest in the field. But beyond that, I look for critical and analytical thinking. So I, what I like to do is I like to throw out like, um, like once we've gotten past like, you know, behavioral based questions, cause I like to, I don't just like to, uh, you know, uh, advocate for science for others. I like to eat my own dog food as you will. <laughs> once, you know, once you're getting past that part of the process and getting into how would you creatively tackle this problem? Like, and I want to get like, walk through their thought process and thinking about, okay, 
you know, what, what is, what's a different way of looking at this than maybe other people might not have imagined. And if, if someone comes to me and they just, it sounds like they just read it in a book and they're just repeating it back to me, like what I do not look for and I have a strong aversion to is just recall, right? Mm -hmm. Someone mm -hmm. reiterates what someone else said, but they don't understand it from a deep philosophical understanding that that's not critical and analytical thinking. And I, I mean, obviously I want someone who's got the skills, but I also, I, I feel like from a leadership perspective, I can teach the skills. I can, mm -hmm. I, I am so committed to people on my team's development. Like if they don't have everything today, that's no big deal at all. We're going to learn a lot just by doing our jobs. You know, the 70, 2010 model of development, we're going to get plenty of that 70% all of the time. And, and I'm, you know, I, I hate to say like throwing people into the deep end because that has a negative connotation, but it's fun. It's empowerment. It's autonomy. Yeah. I want to give people big jobs that they can grow into, right? And and that's not being thrown into the deep end. That's an investment in your career. Man, I I want to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you'd hire me, but uh, you know that. I was hoping you could hire me, Al. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to highlight this point. And, and not only is it creativity, it, it is uh, curiosity. It yes. is, you know, asking questions. Oftentimes I'm asked to come in, oh, tell me how to tell stories with data. And I come back and say, well, what stories are appropriate? What stories will actually be helpful? Because the stories that are in the data are constrained by the data. It might be the case where we need to go and create new data or acquire new data to tell a story beyond what we you know, are able to at that point in time. And that takes this going out and soliciting, if you will, our internal customers to understand how they think so we yeah. can meet their narrative where they are. That's how I approach it. Do you see this kind of growth mindset, this mm -hmm. um, nature of inquiry being critical to how you operate and how you want oh. your team to operate? I can't, I cannot give people like, it was one of the things that I think you see in these articles that I've written is I try to give a lot of people a lot of credit. Yeah, you I do. give, you know, Aleph Levinson and Alexis Fink, they, they had a series, I think it was probably a year ago now, where they talked about people analytics and the nexus point between it and org development. And that org development is that going out into the business. It's going and understanding what people need and kind of helping them from a consulting mindset, right? And mm -hmm. so I remember I was interviewing, this was a few companies ago with a chief people officer to, to get a job. And they, I guess they didn't know very much about people analytics. And so they, were, they asked me a kind of like a technical question of like, how would you approach the situation? And I first talked about how much time I would like, you know, go see, go do from like a, 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 like a, a Gipchi Gimbutsu. I used to work at Toyota. So like the, the manufacturing context of going out and seeing the work being done and then meeting with stakeholders, meeting with leaders, trying to understand the organizational context. And she, and she said to me, she's like, Paul, oh, that sounds like you're just an OD professional. Why? Well, that doesn't have anything to do with analytics. And I said, well, I guess I suppose I could just sit behind a computer all day crunching numbers, but if that didn't help anybody and didn't solve any problems, I'm not doing my job. And I ended up getting the job. So I guess it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I absolutely love it, Cole. We're going to have to talk more um, again uh, because uh, you have a lot to say and it's certainly worth listening to and considering and, and learning from. Um, as we start to wrap, I want to go back to what we touched on at the beginning. Your 
connection, your view in the connection between workforce planning and people analytics. Uh, is it one and the same to you? Uh, and you know, what are the key outcomes? What, what are the decisions that are made from uh, each of those? I know that's a big question as we start to wrap, but you know, sure. what's your, what's your, I think the easy answer is kind of like, it's, it's a, um, it's a, it's two circles. You know, there are aspects, it's like a Venn diagram. There are aspects of strategic workforce planning that have nothing to do with people analytics. There are things in people analytics that have nothing to do with strategic workforce planning. But I would say if you had to proportionally weight those bubbles, the strategic workforce planning bubble is smaller and the people analytics bubble is huge because mm. we cover everything. And that's why I love the transition of the name from the field being HR analytics to people analytics is because we spend everything that people touch in the organization. And that's what makes that bubble so huge. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. And we're going to have to come back to your workforce. Let's do it, man. Because I, 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 I'm just, your energy again is contagious and your insights and ideas that you're presenting, not only here today, but in your articles is, is top notch. So thank you for doing what you do. How can people learn more about you and what you're up to there at Booster? Yeah, well, so stay in touch with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I've got all the articles that I have posted and that I will be posting on the Medium website. And then also, um, and I've been working with you, Al, I want to give you a big thank you here about upcoming DFW People Analytics meetups we're going to be coordinating. I don't think we have any firm dates yet, but we've got two coming up. And so I would love to meet anybody in the area in person as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. You can learn more about what we're doing there um, at pafal.net. You can see the dates and we'll be setting that up here, hopefully by the end of uh, this week. But, you know, again, Cole, thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for you know, contributing to the space so generously. And yes, we will see one another in person next month. So super absolutely. excited about that. Awesome. All right. You, Thank you, you so much well. for the opportunity, Al. Absolutely. Cheers, my friend. See you. Bye-bye.